Hello, my friend. Welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast to help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashpitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Ricky Lee Silber joins the podcast this week, and Ricky is a writer, he's a creator, and he's the owner and operator of Space Dog Shroomery. And in this conversation, we talk about mental health, we talk about writing, we talk about creativity, and we talk about psychedelics. It was a very interesting and insightful conversation, and if you enjoy it, please share it with a friend. But in other news, this podcast is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products every single day. So hit the link in the show notes, see which products might work best for you, and then use code EVERYBODY at checkout for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 185 of Something for Everybody with Ricky Lee Silber. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashpitz. Ricky, welcome yes. to the show. Thank you for having me. Dude, yes. Um, thanks for coming over. Thanks for bringing water with you. You're welcome. Very nice. Coming to a person's home, bring a gift. I love the gesture. It's Texas summer. That's right. It's Texas mm-hmm. summer. Uh, I'm glad that you drove here and you didn't walk here. That's true, yes. <laughs> <laughs> because when we were when you were first going to jiu-jitsu, you were walking, weren't you? I still do walk. You still walk jujitsu, yes. but it's close to your house. Like four minutes walk. Oh, okay. Yes. And you didn't start jujitsu in the middle of the summer. No, it was like October. Okay, yes. yeah. So <laughs> you're all right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, great. You're another person from the gym that's that's on the podcast. That's awesome. I feel okay. like I only meet cool people at the jujitsu gym because uh, jujitsu is just like that thing. It's like great. It's a bond. It's yes. hard. We'll get we'll get into all of that. Uh, but before we do, before we get into all your story, shrooms. The, all the good stuff, mm-hmm. the meat and bones. How are you doing? Like, actually, how are you doing? Um, overall, good. Yeah? Yeah. Very, uh, I try and live um, as much uh, harmonious. I, I like to, it, it, is everything in harmony? Hmm. That's how I try to kind of think of each day. So I'm in harmony, so I'm good. Okay. How did you come up with that, that way of living? Um, it was um, a lifetime of uh, anxiety and just all sorts of uh, never feeling good enough mm. for myself. And uh, just, you know, I, I, was, I was never that person that was confident to do anything. And uh, just like a, a really, really huge fast forward, I ended up in a, at a shaman's house. And uh, we went on a, a journey together, psychedelic journey. Mm. And uh, some themes came out. And uh, sort of like three three pillars came out. So um, li- living uh, in harmony, uh, living with joy, um, with truth, like different things. And uh, I, it really stayed with me. And I try to to live the, that way moving forward. Hmm. That's beautiful, though. Mm-hmm. I talk about harmony a lot. Okay. Yeah. So it's interesting that you bring that up. I talk about it more and like, because everyone, everyone says like, let's have a, a work-life balance right. or a balance in life. Mm-hmm. And from my experience, I've never had any balance. And, and that's, I think it felt like that was a good thing. Like, I don't see not having balance as a bad thing. I was maybe at some points like walking like a tightrope, trying to have sort of this dynamic equilibrium, potentially. Mm-hmm. But like when I was playing baseball, like 
the balance was definitely shifted towards baseball, but I still felt like there was harmony in my life. Maybe I was a little obsessive. Maybe I foreclosed my identity like a little bit mm. and I've learned better about that. Sure. But I just, I, I never grasped that concept. Like, am I supposed to be 50, 50? No, I want to be like in harmony. Like you're saying, like when I'm doing jujitsu, hundred percent in jujitsu. When I'm doing baseball, hundred percent in baseball. When I'm with my fiance, hundred percent with my fiance. So I've, I viewed it more like that. I mean, it's, it's taken me a long time to sort of get to that idea. Same as you, right? Through different modalities yes. and experiences and things of that nature. But I, I really do like the word harmony. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels, uh, it feels right. I think. Right. It does. You know, harmony feels like harmony. It feels like harmony. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So let's bridge that gap. Okay. Cause you talked about, uh, now feeling overall good as a father and a husband. You didn't say that, but you are. Yeah. Um, I mean, as good as you can feel, you know, there's, right. Uh, there's life. There's life. There's mistakes. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's the, there's the natural ebbs and flows. There's right. the inevitable stuff, the, you know, the setbacks, the challenges, but there's also the beauty and the love. Right. Of course, you know that. Um, so anxiety, not feeling good enough all the way to meeting with a shaman. Let's sort of, let's bridge that gap. Okay. I mean, you don't have to say the whole life story, but you know, some things that were important to you that led you down uh, to wanting to see that person or experiences that led to that path. Right. So, you know, there, there was never something that I really felt that was that I was good at. That was me. You know, uh, there was always somebody better at something, you know, with, in school, gym, art, whatever it is. Uh, I, I'm not very academic. I didn't think I was very smart. Mm. Uh, but I was very creative. I would write. I would like win speech writing competitions. Mm. But I never felt that was um, going to lead me to, to really anything. Um, I really did enjoy writing jokes. I'd come up with my own my own jokes and share them with my friends. And oh, there's no way you wrote that. I'm like I did. I you know like kind of like one liners. Like Mitch Hedberg was a big influence mm. on me. Uh, I guess uh, artistically, comedically, and um, I, I absolutely loved. I would sit and just write at home. Um, I don't watch movies. I don't watch TV. Like I would rather just sit and just write my own show instead of watching a, a, a another movie. Mm -hmm. I, I get bored. I get like, even like there, there are movies that I have seen that I do like, but even in those movies that I really do enjoy, I find myself kind of just losing interest and just doing my own thing anyway. Yeah. Um, so eventually what happened was I started uh, writing a blog um, once every 24 hours, I would post a new joke. It would kind of encourage me to keep being creative. And that blog eventually got traction. And you were posting, hold on, you were posting a joke every 24 hours. Yeah, a, a new one-liner. Wow. Like just what, like, what site were you on at this point in your life? What site was that? Yeah, on? what were you posting these oh, jokes? Oh, it's just like a WordPress blog. That oh, I made. okay, you just yeah, created a website. no social media. There's got it, just, got like, it. Yeah. And um, so my friends were visiting and uh, they were sharing with people, like their friends here and there. And eventually I had like 12,000 people that were coming, like checking the blog, you know, had little hit counters. It was a really stupid thing. That's pretty but sweet though. It was sweet, but it was, I don't know what to do about it. Like, sure. Monetize, I don't know. Um, I really don't like monetizing stuff. Like it just, <laughs> it's really bizarre to me. You know, I went to school for advertising. Yeah. And um, I could really never work in advertising because I never really believed in the things I was advertising. Mm. And I, I didn't like that as a career. So that makes sense to me. Right. It just, I resonate with that. Right. So, um, I enjoyed the writing. So that's what I was doing. And, uh, eventually I decided that I wanted to write for Conan O'Brien. That became my, my new dream. 
to write for Conan O'Brien. Exactly. What was he doing at this time? He had his nighttime show? Yeah, he had show? his nighttime show, but I felt like his, his uh, style kind of fit with my kind of goofy, silly, whimsical style. Cool. And uh, so how, how am I going to write for Conan? So um, I ended up, uh, I, I bought a domain name, letrickwriteforconan.com. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, put a, I made a petition and I had all the people that were on my blog you know, I thought, okay, here's how I'll use that, um, those numbers. So they, I got a whole bunch of signatures on, on uh, the blog and on the petition to write for Conan. Mm-hmm. And uh, somehow, I don't even know how, it got into the hands of one of these publicists. And uh, she got in touch with me. And, and at this time now, he'd gone off air. There was like a gap during this time. Yeah. And he was doing a, a tour across North America. And she said he's, he's going to be in um, somewhere in Connecticut. Uh, are you nearby? And I said, uh, yeah. Like, I was in Toronto. but like, yeah, I'm totally, I'm, I'm right there. So I told my wife, I'm like, we, we have to fly to Connecticut. Why? Because you're going to go meet Conan O'Brien. Okay. Yeah, I'm right there. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a stone's throw away. Right. So I have, a, 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 like, a newborn baby daughter at that time. Like, we're a newborn. Like, she's uh, probably half a year, you know. It always feels, they still feel like newborn, kind of. But, um, yeah, so we, we go. We so you were, you were, okay, you were married at this time with your okay, first kid. Yes, exactly. Okay. So uh, we go meet Conan. And it's like really surreal. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, it's just like, I felt like I never, I, I felt like I don't belong. You know, I always feel like I don't belong, but I felt like I don't belong. But uh, so he looked at my my jokes. He thought they were funny, which was like really, really cool, but felt like wait till he really gets to know me. He won't think it's so funny later on. But for now, you were, you were thinking this in your head oh, while yeah. he's talking oh, yeah. to you. I'm like, I'm like, I'm totally tricking him into thinking I'm something. And mm-hmm. uh, so he told me, he says, okay, you know, you're a young guy. You don't have any stand-up comedy experience. He's never hired a writer that's never done stand-up. And he's never hired a writer under 40. Like two of those things. And you were both. I was both. <laughs> so he he put me in touch with a, a couple of his writers. Yeah. He says, stay in touch with them. I'm too busy to be in touch with you myself. But if they want to keep in touch with you, like uh, go back to Toronto, do some stand-up, get some experience, and uh, come back. And we'll see what happens. So that's why I, um, I went back to Toronto. But, you know, I'm like, I feel like awkward i'm not not very good at like uh i don't like uh putting myself in social situations i like social anxiety mm-hmm. um i don't want to do stand-up i don't want to be in front of people um this is like challenging enough you know like, yeah um so i decided no nah, i'm not gonna whatever it's like uh, i'm just gonna let go of that dream and it's gonna keep writing you let go of it i decided like i'm like i'm not gonna start doing stand-up it's okay but I, I don't know what happened. Something happened. Uh, you know, my friends encouraged me. Oh, you got to try it. Just try it. Mm-hmm. So there was this uh, um, comedy search competition that came up in Toronto. Uh, it was called uh, the, the Comedy Brawl, something like, something weird, a weird name. And uh, I signed up because it guarantees you a few shows, a few open mics. I'm like, okay, that's how I'll, I'll, I'll try. I'll get some. Let's see what happens. And... Um, I went through. I kept going through to the next round. I, I went through each show. Went through to the next round. Like, you were doing live performances. Yeah, th- these were my, fir- my very first live comedy shows. Just you, just okay. Just, so where was the where was the time frame between you? You meet Conan. Yes. He likes you. He likes your jokes. He thinks you're funny. He wants you to stay in touch with the writers. Uh-huh. And then you make the decision like mm, stand up's not for me mm-hmm. until this competition. How, what was how long was that? Do you remember? Probably closer to a year. So you okay? So a year you, you did you feel any uh, sense of regret? Were you still writing jokes from not joining the stand-up thing and this sort of 
comedy competition just like lit you back up? What was what was the process there? Yeah, I was still writing every day. And, With the uh, same blog website? Yeah, same website. And uh, I, I really had no desire to do stand-up, even when I started doing it, that I thought, okay, let me just try it. It's okay. like, uh, so it's something that scares me. So it was uh, doing it felt like I'm going to sort of try to overcome something that scares me okay. and do it. This is more of like a personal challenge than it was that I want to be a stand-up comedian. Got it. Um, I just didn't expect to keep kind of going through to the next round. Yeah. And every time I go through to the next round, I would look for excuses why I can't go to the next show and perform. Like I'm looking for way, reasons to drop out. Mm. And, um, you know, so I didn't drop out. I kept going. I, I made it to the final show and came second overall in this uh, competition. So and all of Toronto. Yeah, there was about 300 and something comics. That, That's that incredible. But um, the problem was for me, because of that, um, there was a tension and uh, I started getting calls to, to do this show and that show and uh, uh, out of town comics were asking me to open for them mm -hmm. and there I was really making excuses like I, I didn't I, I I really uh let go of many opportunities because I didn't want to go I just felt nervous I felt like it wasn't going to go well well you know if my friends come they see me bomb it's going to look really bad so mm. so um I decided to kind of stop doing that wow yeah and um started a, an Instagram account and um start posting my jokes on Instagram and that started growing because it was, it really, it's, it suited Instagram pretty well, like one liners. And I would illustrate each joke mm. with a, with a MS paint style cartoon. And, um, I ended up growing that account. And because I felt like, okay, one, it, you know, it, it turned into a thing where I post one joke. This is after like a, a few years, I post one joke and I've got like 2000 likes within, you know, uh, 10 minutes of posting. It. Wow. And it was a really big uh, adrenaline rush to see that happening. And I felt like, wow, like in a comedy, when I was doing the, the stand-up, there's a room of maybe, say, 50 people. And my, you know, to spend two hours to reach 50 people, here I'm spending 10 minutes and reaching 2,000 people. Mm -hmm. and I can do as much as I want. So if I'm like, screw stand-up comedy, I'm, I'm just going to be a, an Instagram comedian, whatever that meant. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> right. An Instagram comedian. Yeah, I guess there you so. Go. I guess so. Perfect. Um, All right, so we're there. You're doing that. So we're doing that, and the account's growing, and I'm becoming more obsessed with the following the account, and like mm. I'm checking it all the time. You know, I, I lost a follower. Why did I lose a follower? I'm seeing, like, do I follow the person that unfollowed me because I'm going to unfollow them? And I'm gained a follower, and then, like, uh, why didn't this joke get this much likes? You know, I got, I got, uh, 3,000 likes the day before. How come this one only got like 1,800? Maybe it was the wrong time of the day that I posted. So I would delete that joke and try and post at the same time that I did it the day before. It really started consuming my life. Wow. And uh, I, I went on like this for probably about four years uh, in total with, this, with the Instagram. And um, it really started uh, dominating my whole life and my personality. You know, when, when I would meet somebody for the first time, I would introduce myself as my social media handle before introducing them uh, as myself. And I felt that, you know, there's a, I, I start growing an ego because I know I've got followers and uh, um, I would think people should be impressed. And when somebody wasn't impressed, I'd be like, yeah, you know, screw that person that's not impressed. I've got a following. And uh, it just, you know, it, it turned into something that I didn't really like at all. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, 
I'm tying into the shaman. Right. Um, when I was um, uh, immersed in that experience, one of the things that came up, you know, when you're when I was under the influence was a life purpose, and um, thinking about life purpose and you know you know reality is a little bit distorted, and I start seeing my Instagram following the, the numbers because I I had them in my brain because I used to check all the time, and I see the numbers flying backwards, almost like a Rolodex flying backwards and, the, and uh, each number's flying away. And I get to six and I click on who's the six followers and it's my wife and my kids and my dog. And it really hit me in a really deep way. Like these are the people that matter to me. All those other people, like it's, it's cool that they like my, my jokes, but I'm spending all my time and all my energy just trying to get those likes. And in the meantime, I've got a family that loves me at home and I kind of put them to the side and I, I, I was heartbroken. I started like, it was like a flashback. Um, I started seeing every single moment where my family's having dinner and they're calling me and my kids are calling me, daddy, come for dinner. My wife's come, let's come eat together as a family. Yeah, five more minutes this way because I'm waiting for the perfect time to post this one. And I end up, you know, miss so many dinners, just sitting on the couch and working on my Instagram while they're having dinner, and I saw all those moments, and I was like, I was sobbing. I was sitting with the shaman, like crying and sobbing. And how have I wasted these four years of like precious time with my family? For this, it makes no sense. So I decided I'm deleting social media, getting away from all that nonsense, and uh, I'm going to try and live in a different way. And uh, yeah, it was uh, super, super impactful. And, like I had no, I had no feelings I was going to delete any social media going into that shaman session you mm -hmm. know i was thinking maybe i'll figure out how to make it even better and i ended up coming out with the idea to get rid of everything what year was this this was um about uh, i'd say three and a half years ago hmm. yeah so, wow what prompted you just to actually go to the shaman was it to enhance your life did you were you reading stuff about psychedelics what was happening there? So at the time, um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, just like, you know, I've got this uh, anxiety and uh, never felt good enough for myself or for anybody. So I was seeing a, a psychologist just to kind of work through these um, ideas. It was a friend of mine actually in Toronto, but he was a psychologist. So, and, uh, you know, you always, I always felt good the day that I went there. You know, I leave kind of like extra two, okay. Here's how I can think about this different. And you feel good. But then as soon as like, uh, a thought comes into my head, I don't know how to combat it. Mm -hmm. So it's good for that moment. But then after that, it's, it's not good anymore. And um, I had a friend that had gone to the same shaman. And he said it changed his life. So I thought, okay, like, let me try. I've got nothing to lose. You know, I, was, I was nervous because uh, um, you know, uh, in, in Toronto, marijuana is legal. But I react poorly with it I get I get over anxious mm. you know I'm anxious anyway it kind of just exacerbates everything so I thought okay I've never done mushrooms so it's going to be way much more intense than than uh, marijuana let's see what happens anyway right and um, so that's the reason why I went to the shaman just to kind of see if, if he has any solutions that are different to the psychologist and uh, it was honestly probably the most important impactful moment of my life yeah well, the the Instagram account makes sense, right? It fits everything that you wanted. Mm -hmm. You wanted to tell jokes. Yep. You wanted to be creative. 
but you didn't want anyone, you didn't want to be in front of anyone, right. but you wanted also people to know who you were at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it like, it was the combination of the perfect storm. And I, and kids are dealing with that right now. Right. I, I, I've talked about this a little bit, but it's like social media, like obviously has its pros and cons, but I think one of the things that's happening, especially with young people is that they're trying to become famous without being excellent at something. Right. Like majority of the time, not all circumstances, to be famous, quote unquote, you most likely have to be excellent at something. Mm -hmm. Not all the time. Again, there's different circumstances. Some people get lucky or they're prettier or whatever, right? But I'm just saying like, if you're a movie star or a famous writer or an author or whatever, a famous athlete, right? Normally you're excellent at something. That's why you got famous. I don't think there should be fame, but that's like a different thing. Right. But nowadays, kids want to just be on social media and be famous. For what? You have to become excellent at something to be able to be recognized for doing the thing really well so that people know you, Right. I guess. Again, fame, I don't know why anyone would want fame. I hope everyone gets famous and see how awful it is. Yeah. Like you want to be able to live your life and go to Walmart, like ask Post Malone. If he would rather be famous or not famous. Right. He still wants to be able to create his music because that's his gift to the world. He's beautiful at it. But the dude would probably love to just be like, oh man, I think I'm just going to go to Walmart, grab a rotisserie chicken and head home. He can't do that. It's fucking Post Malone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. But now with all these reality shows and all these things, people are just getting sort of plucked out of obscurity. They're just living their normal lives. And now they have 2 million followers on Instagram for doing nothing. Mm -hmm. That's the issue. And so we're not... Like with kids, especially, we're not creating sort of work ethic, sort of accountability, responsibility, becoming an expert in something in your field. Like Andrew Huberman, you know who he is? Yes. Has a podcast. He's famous now. He's got like the top podcast in the whole world. But is he excellent at something? You're damn right he is. Mm -hmm. Spent years and years studying his craft and now he explains it in a sophisticated manner. He just so happens to be that a lot of people follow him. Mm -hmm. You were excellent at something. A lot of people followed you, but you fell into the trap that... A lot of people are falling into this attention thing. The more it happens, it sort of becomes like this rat race. I need more of this. I need more of this. I need more of this. Um, and it's, it becomes challenging, but it was sort of the perfect mesh for you. Um, but I'm glad you, you met that shaman and changed your life. Yeah, it was uh, mo the most incredible thing. You know, it, it's, uh, he said before we started that he, there's no new ideas that are going to be put into your, into your mind. It's going to be things that are already there that are just going to come out. And it was, um, yeah, so many things came out of that uh, session. And uh, w why I say it was like uh, life-changing, I, I never needed a, another psychology session after that. I addressed my anxiety. I addressed everything um, three and a half years-ish. Um, from then till now, I'm a completely different person. I couldn't sleep at night. Since I was a kid, I, I was going to bed at four or five in the morning because I was too nervous to go to sleep. Mm. You know, thinking something bad's going to happen if I go to sleep. I have to be awake to protect my family. I, I was like that since I was a young kid. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, so I was born in South Africa. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous place to live. I have cousins that were tied up and uh, home invasions and carjacking. Well, it's normal. It's a normal thing with, um, when you're living there. And at the time that I was there, because it was a very, very dangerous time, which is why we moved to Canada. But it, it really left an imprint on me. So what, even though I was in Canada in a safe suburb, because I spent eight years in that environment of everything is scary and everyone's out to get you, I really, really 
believed always that somebody was out to get me. My family's going to get hurt. So, you know, my parents would go to bed whenever they go to bed, 11, 12. And I'd stay up well until like four or five in the morning, just so that at least I know I'm awake, that if something happened, I, I can call the cops. I can do something to protect my family. Yeah. You know, so <clears throat> after the shot, I started going to sleep. It was just a really life changing in every way. Were you staying up late um, after your kids were born too? Was it worse then? It was the same. It was the same. It was just, just different things to be nervous about. You know, I would go check my kids if they're breathing, you know, because you never know. I'm like, okay, I hope they're breathing tonight. And, you know, go check. And if I think, are they breathing? And I'll go back to sleep. Of course they're breathing. But what if they're not? And I got to go and check if they're breathing. Yeah. Mm, psychedelics. Psychedelics. Magical tool. <laughs> yeah. Um, was, uh, when the time you were... Uh, fully invested in your Instagram. Was that your like full-time job? Was that making you money or how were you making money? No, it was not monetizing at all. I wanted to, my, my goal with that was to write a book and then to have the followers buy the book. Got that it. was, that was going to be the, the play there. At the time I was working um, with my, my dad's company, family business. Okay. Doing, just, you know, marketing and whatever else has to get done. Collections, debt collections. Mm. So um, I had fun with that, actually. Um, you know, I used to do a lot of prank calls as well. <laughs> so I had a good time on the phone. With, you know, um, I, I made debt collecting actually a fun thing. I would create, like, jokes and memes that I would send out as funny ways to ask for money. Because it's an awkward thing to ask a customer, a good customer, for money. So I figured, okay, let's, how do we turn this into, like, a fun, friendly encounter rather than a you-owe-me-money encounter? Right. So... Um, you know, I would, I would like have a, you know, I find a picture of a cow and I write on there, I'd be like, you owe me Mooney, you know, just like stupid nonsense. But like, you know, the customers, they, they, they laughed and like they apologized. Oh, I'm so sorry. But they asked if they could use those sort of like uh, memes that I would send them. They can use them for their customers. <laughs> so I started creating a little bit of like a, a debt collection letters for companies to kind of use. It's, it's like a little fun side, side hustle. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So you see the shaman, you decide you want to delete your Instagram. Yes. Where do you go from there? So he, t he told me, um, wait, he says, don't do anything. That's a drastic thing to do. You know, you spent so many years working on this thing. You, you're in a really, uh, inspired place right now, but you know, settle down, let things make sense. And, uh, if you still want to delete your social media, then, you know, proceed after that, but don't do anything spur of the moment right now you're in a very altered state and just like just like be be careful with what what you want to do um one of the things that did come up was um you know my truest self like what really makes me happy mm. you know and i saw myself as a, as as my inner child with dogs i love dogs i grew up with dogs and uh i just felt like i needed to do something with dogs i don't know what it was but I came out of that experience and I said, I don't know about the comedy. I don't know anything about that, but I have to do something with dogs and, uh, but integrate it with my personality. So, you know, a little funny and, and quirky. And it took, it took probably about, um, I'd say a year of thinking about what am I going to do until I came up with, uh, what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, it, it, so it kind of led me away from comedy. I did a little bit of stand up after that. Did I, you? I did. And, and I was a lot better with it, you know. Just because you were freer and... Freer, I didn't care. I didn't care who laughed, who didn't laugh. Like, and it worked pretty well that way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Were you still writing at this time? 
Yeah, I, I write every day. You still write every yeah. day. How how do you think about how do you think about creativity? So I, I don't know if you listen to Rick Rubin, no. uh, the musical um, producer. Okay, he talks about creativity all the time. I've been trying to read his book. Not trying to. I am reading his book. Not trying. <laughs> That's good money. Anyways, but it's like uh, putting words into the creative process sometimes can be very challenging. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like how you stay creative, or why, or what your process is like, or you know what you do daily. I. I mean, I. I, I wish I had an answer. I've tried to. Act, I've tried to do things to make me creative. Yeah. It doesn't do anything. Um, I kind of just think of something and I go with it. Mm. You know, when, when I say, okay, I'm going to go and write for an hour, I never come up with anything. But if I'm driving or if I'm doing something different, that's when the ideas come. Mm. It's kind of, I've got to be thinking about something else or somebody will say something and it triggers like a funny thought. Oh, okay. I'll write that down. Or I'll just, um, I, you know, spur of the moment stuff. Like I, I was at the grocery store. My wife asked me to get, uh, she was making potato leek soup. So I leaks, okay. So I, gra- I grabbed an extra bunch of leaks. And I just, before I got, I went home, I went to Sears. You know, they have like the, uh, the sort of the floor with the display dishwashers and everything. Mm-hmm. Nothing's plugged into anything, but like the sales floor. And I go and I put leaks in the dishwashers. And I call the sales guy. And like, there's a leak in the, in the dish. He was like, it's not plugged in. Like, I'm telling you, like, I, I, honestly, <laughs> he came in, like, he, he pulled the thing and there's a leak in there. And he was like, why are you doing this? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just like stupid. I'm just like playing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and, then, and then that kind of triggers more jokes and more ideas and thinking. And... Yeah. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's hard though, right? That question is hard. Like most creative people who do creative endeavors mm-hmm. have a hard time like writing it down or explaining yeah. it. It's just something sort of intrinsic to them. Like this is my nature. Right. I am this sort of person. The same way someone is like, meticulous or athletic potentially mm-hmm. right um some of these things are skills you can acquire but a lot of these things are sort of the personality traits that dr jordan peterson talks right. about all the time you know the big five sure that's sort of your you're born with and that dominate parts of your personality i thought i was autistic i was hoping that i was to be honest yeah yeah i was, um i went to a, a different uh route to, to, to test myself if i was autistic I was excited to think that I might be because it would explain so much. In my mind, at least, I thought like, you know, and I was thinking like, what kind of, you know, different kinds of autism, I guess. I don't know. So I thought, okay, maybe I, I did an online test and it told me that I have Asperger's. And I thought, perfect. Like, whatever that means, I, I, I believe it. So that my friend psychologist that I was seeing, I told him, like, yeah, I checked it out and I have Asperger's. He's like, you don't have Asperger's. <laughs> I was like, but I did a test. So he's like, and I was hoping, I was really, I told my parents that I have Asperger's. <laughs> <laughs> like I really, I was hoping. Like, why you know, were you hoping so much? So you had something to explain it, your exactly. behavior. Exactly, just it was just something that makes sense. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. So what did your what did your psychologist friend tell you? Nah, he's he's not. He's, you're, you're not. I'm like I'm like like I'm on the spectrum a little bit. He says no, you're not on the spectrum. I'm like oh come on. Like it was just like it was a little disappointing, you know. But is <laughs> what it is. Yeah, you just have a, the you have <laughs> openness, openness, creativity. Right. Right. Yeah. This yeah. is a great thing. It's, it makes you you. You go put leaks in the dishwasher yeah. at, C- at Sears. <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah. Um, so what do you, uh, yeah, so what's, what's, what were you, you're creating the business that we're about to talk about. Right. It took you about a year to come up with the idea. We'll mm-hmm. talk about it in a second. Were you doing anything else? Um, 
job-wise um, at that moment? Uh, yes, working with the family business. Oh, still doing that. Yeah, still Got doing it. that. Okay. Um, COVID came. Yeah. And uh, I was uh, I was kind of over it before it started. I I saw it coming like a mile away because I, I really grew up like a I, I'm a skeptical like a I really am a skeptic on most things. You're still in Toronto at this. point. I'm still in Toronto. Um, I enjoy. I'm not a. I, I wouldn't say that I'm a conspiracy theorist, but I really enjoy conspiracy theories. I look like I like looking into them, mm-hmm. learning about them. I find them really unique. So when, um, when COVID came, I told my wife, I'm like, this is, you know, it's, it's going to be crazy and it's going to be nonsense. And it's it is just like, whatever. I'm just like, whatever. You know, people started wearing the masks and everyone's dying. Oh, okay. And so then I, for about a month, I was like really, really terrified. I, I would say for the first month, because you hear people are dying and bodies are piling up. And, right. So, but after... You know, after I washed groceries for two hours, you know, you bring it home, you put the stuff in the counter, it's you know, like Lysol, the, the bread bags and the cracker boxes. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to keep washing groceries for two hours <laughs> once I come home. So like whatever people are dying from, I think it, like if it's my time, it's my time. Like I'm not going to live this way. Yeah. So I just I stopped wearing the mask like early. I was an early no masker. And um, I got, you know, I wasn't allowed here or there. I couldn't go to the store like uh, you know, I wasn't allowed uh, to go pray at synagogue. I was, there's like, I was banned from pretty much everywhere because I was not wearing masks. And I wasn't going to wear the mask to go to places. I, I felt there was, there was a principle to uphold. Like, I, I think I think there was a big overreaction. For me, this is, you know, it's not popular. Maybe, it's, I don't know. I guess there was a very unpopular view. And um, my kids were in school and they were being forced to wear masks. And I've got like little, little kids. And um, it was really, really impacting them. So I told my wife, I said, we, we've got to uh, get away for like three weeks, you know, just take time off of work and just drive. We'll, we'll go to Texas. We'll drive. There. It's, it's uh, free there. It's open just to kind of get some, some space. Mm-hmm. Now, at this time, you know, um, Walmart was, uh, they had caution tape over anything that wasn't essential, that was not an essential item. My kids needed books for school. You could not buy books because they were not considered essential. They were not food items. So books were became you cannot buy books, you cannot buy hangers, you cannot buy clothes, like not none of that, right? Um, they had these things in Toronto called snitch fees. Well, we called them snitch fees. If you have a neighbor and they've got more than ten people in the backyard, you call a special one eight hundred number, and the officials will come over, bust them, break them up, and you will get uh, a pri- like a prize that was like seven hundred something bucks for kind of letting them know what's going on and your neighbor would get a fine. And uh, so this, this stuff was happening and uh, I felt like there's just too, too much craziness going on. So, um, you know, packed up our car and drove here the whole time in my mind, you know, back on my mind, I'm thinking like, we're not driving, we're going to live in Texas. So I told my kids, I said, uh, pack anything you don't want to leave behind, just put in a backpack. Everyone takes one backpack because we're going in the car, got our dog in there too. And uh, come up here for three weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, the day before we were supposed to drive back, I told my wife, I said, what do you think about living here? So we're in a hotel. She said, what do you mean? How are we going to live here? I said, by just not driving back. Let's just, <laughs> let's just stay. Yeah. She goes, yeah, but you have your job there. Like, I have my job. Like, we have all these things. Our, like, our house and our stuff. Like, what are we going to do? Like, let's just try. Let's just see what happens. So we had, like, a two-day. Like, the next, we didn't go. So it's like, okay, let's delay one day. 
So we had like a, a two-day argument about like what should we do, mm-hmm. and uh, we decided to to keep living in Texas. Called my parents, let them know we're not coming back. It's like, what do you mean you're not coming back? You know, we're, we we like it here too much. It's free. It's open. Like we're, we're going to live here, and uh, so in order for us to be here legally, um, we we needed to do something. Uh, I had this so I had this idea from the shaman, this dog business. Mm-hmm. Right. And I thought like, what a perfect place to start a business. It's, it's Texas. It's, it's America. There's dogs everywhere. I think this is going to be a, like, it's going to be absolutely perfect. Like it's what, what an opportunity to like start fresh and do something different. Yeah. yeah. So that's how, you know, that kind of turned into. Uh-huh, that's how it manifested. Yes. It. Yes. And then you came up with the actual idea. Yes. Which is. Mushrooms for dogs. Shrooms. Mushrooms for dogs. Yes. Non-psychedelic. Right. Um, but functional medicinal mushrooms. They're super healthy for people, you know, like uh, lion's mane for uh, cog- cognition and uh, all the, you know, chaga and uh, cordyceps and um, turkey tail for immune systems. So I've got right now I've got two different products, one specifically geared towards uh, cognitive support, one for immune support. Mm-hmm. And uh, specifically made for dogs. I mean, they're, they're made that people can, you know, people can take them, but they're marketed towards dogs. Dogs, because yes. you love dogs. I love dogs, and I feel like I want people to buy them for their dogs. Yeah. So what was it like getting this business together? Um, very, very challenging. You know, I'm still dealing with immigration right now. Um, becoming a, uh, a work, getting a working visa or becoming a citizen? It, it took about a, a year to, to get an actual working visa that I can start taking money from the company. Um, I, I had no salary for a year and I really was, um, I, I went by the books, you know, cause I, I want to do everything properly and legally. So I really did not take a, a penny on salary for like over a year. So my wife was from she, the business that you created. Yeah. From anything. My wife was working remotely for a Canadian company. Mm. And so we were getting paid in Canadian dollars and we were living our life in American dollars and paying taxes in Canadian dollars, like, you know, close to 30, the high 30% tax income tax. And uh, so we really came up with, we, we had like, we, we were burning into our savings. You know, like it was really living in a hotel for six months. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we had no U S credit. So no one to rent us anything. Right. So it was really like, um, it sounds like it was a, a really bad decision, you know, coming with four kids and a dog living in a hotel with, you know, you're going negative each month. But it just felt like this was the best thing we could we could do. Like we we're in a place where my kids were now happy. My wife was smiling. Like you know, Toronto was it was a really really difficult place to live, and I was really excited to start on my venture. Mm-hmm. And um, it just kind of let's just go with it and see what happens. And I, I'm a believer that if you do the right thing, things will work out. They you don't have to know how things are going to work out, but they will work out. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah, that took about a year to be able to even start earning money with what I was doing. And right now, even, um, I'm still in the immigration process. Like, I can earn money, but I can't leave the country because I won't be able to get back into the country. I've, I've got to wait for a visa. Uh-huh. And they're backed up um, at the embassies. So it's a, you know, it's a whole thing, but worth it. I would I would not have changed a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's um... It's so interesting in those moments when you feel like you're in the trenches, but you have this bit of blind faith 
that you know it's going to work out. Right. Like I'm, I'm in it. Yeah, it's hard for everyone, me, my family. But like I see why it's right. hard. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I see the vision. That's why it is important to have a vision for your life. Mm-hmm. That's why it's important to have a blind faith. Maybe not it's so blind, but sometimes you can't see why you should have faith right. or what you're looking towards. But you know that it could work out if you put in the right attention, effort, work, right? right. Things don't just work out to work out. But you were working, right. moving, hustling, grinding, putting in effort. Yeah, and that, that's the point where you get, quote unquote, lucky, right. right, from the universe. But if I'm just like sitting at my couch all day and I'm like, things are just going to work out. Probably not. Right. Yeah. No, but if you're in the world, in the arena, getting the blood, the sweat, the tears over and over and over again, yeah, you 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 grind it out long enough and there's compound interest and then there you are. You're like mm-hmm. with the thing that you're so proud of, right. you know, uh, and now you have that. Right. I mean, when we were wanting to leave, we all of our visa uh, passports were expired mm. and um, they would not renew our passports, right? So we went to the passport office. They said, no, you, you have no essential reason to renew your passports. What, what do you mean? Like, I, I'm not a criminal. Why? I, I feel like the people that can't get their passports renewed are people that can't leave the country because there's something wrong. Like, I'm, I'm not detained. Like, what, what's, this, what's the problem here? So they said, well, it's COVID, and they're only renewing passports for people that have essential reasons to renew passports. So I asked them for a list of essential reasons. Mm-hmm. One of them was medical. So... I kind of I did a little bit of research and I found a really really great uh, sports clinic in Plano that does a, a shoulder specialist because mm-hmm. I'd had a torn labrum and issues with my shoulder. Yeah. So I thought, okay, maybe maybe it's a good time to go and get my shoulder addressed. So we got requisitions and we went to the passport office with a requisition to go to Plano to get my shoulder checked out and they signed everything and that's what got us our passports renewed. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, so with your business, yes. did you, you, do you get, did you get investors? Did no. you, you just did it all by yourself? It's exactly. just you yeah. doing the whole thing. Just the grind. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a website, you have social medias. Just started with the social media again. Like I really was not excited to re- to start with social media. Yeah. I, I was, cause I was texting you back cause I wanted to see if you were online uh-huh. and now it makes sense. Cause you're like, I haven't tweeted since 2017. Yeah. And I was like, man, this guy's, <laughs> this guy's cool. How, how does he do this? And that makes a lot of sense now why that's the case. Um, but you have a website. That website will be linked in the show notes. You're doing the packaging and the delivering and the shipping all by yourself? Yes, or yeah, everything, yeah. From your house? From my house. I linked up with a, a really great organic farm in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So I get the mushrooms from from there. They grow everything, all the different varieties, and they, they turn into powder. They blend it for me, and I get it into my own packaging. And, and you created the packaging and I all the... I created the packaging, yeah. Wow. And the specifications, I'll tell them how much uh, chaga I went in this one, how much lines made in that one. And they, they go through it. They third-party test everything. Like, they're a really, really solid company. Wow. Wow, man. Yeah. You fucking did it. We're there. On the, not yet. On, on the way. Yeah, the but journey, you, yeah, you yeah. still, you know, you deserve yeah. a pat on the back. Uh, you know, you. Uh, a job well done. Obviously, you want to continue to move forward with all that. Mm. But, man, that's cool. It's and your, your, your dogs currently take it? Yes, I take it. My dog takes it. Yeah. I sneak into my kids' food. Do you? I do. Sweet. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, yeah, because I've had a few experiences with psychedelics, mm-hmm. as I've shared on this podcast. Um, I think they can be really powerful. But I also like to mention a caveat that it's not like this thing that you can do 
recreationally without intention or the appropriate set or setting. Yeah. And it's just going to magically change your life and everything's going to be perfect moving forward. No, absolutely it's just not. not the case. Uh, just like anything, you have to do your due diligence about what you're going to take, why you're taking it and why it's important to you, potentially using a shaman mm -hmm. or at least having someone around you who can take care of you, who's sober, who's can understand where you're moving and they don't have you go into the wrong direction or anything dangerous like that. You set intentions, you have a pre-plan, a post-plan, a during plan. Um, you have all of these things that you incorporate into this hopefully therapeutic and um, revelatory thing that you're trying to accomplish. Right. Not just like this loose, throw it away, I'm gonna take this extremely powerful drug with no intention whatsoever. Right. That's dangerous, that's reckless, that's what how it used to be used when people were partying with it, and I'm sure people do that now. But if you're someone who's thinking about uh, this and you have maybe some trauma or PTSD or uh, severe mental health conditions or just like nothing has seemed to really work for you, this might be a path that you wanna look into further and deeper, but with really, really strong due diligence again and with some strong intentionality with some professionals, because um, it can be really powerful. In your experience, it was. In my experience, it has been as well. Um, and so that's my sort of uh, PSA on right. psychedelics. And then microdosing too is quite a, amazing too. So in Canada, it was um, not really a legal thing, but it was a decriminalized thing. Mm. You can buy them, they come to your door, no one's uh, checking up on you, but you know, you take just enough that you don't see colors, you don't, you, you're, not, you're not tripping out but you're, you're kind of living on a frequency. Yeah. And uh, I felt like it, it was amazing. Like anything that you're working on, you're very focused on that thing and you, you see it at really interesting angles and you're, it's clear and you're extra creative. It was, it's, I really, really am looking forward to that becoming a legal thing here because uh, I think it's a game changer. I think if everybody was on like a, I think everybody's on something anyway, whether it's like, <laughs> cough medicine people are taking something for everything right sure killers but if everybody's on mushrooms i think the world would be a better place yeah maybe it's an I interesting so. thought yeah so. um what is uh what does your your judaism have to do or how's it play a part in your life currently uh, a, how's it played a part in your whole life too uh, a big role very big role yeah yeah so i grew up like uh, really traditional um not not observant but i grew up uh, you know only kosher food growing up so i've never had lobster or cheeseburgers that i know of you know maybe i've had it by accident i don't know but i kind of grew up that way yeah um go to synagogue every saturday and uh when i got a little bit you know i'd say about 18 years old i just decided to kind of travel down that path a little more see what there is and um i was in university i was in school for this advertising program and we had these Jewish high holidays coming up. And I decided that I was going to go and observe these high holidays for the first time. I don't know what they do, but let me go check it out. So I told my teacher, who was Jewish, I figured he'll be happy to hear that I'm going to go do this thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I asked him like, if I could, um, you know, we had, we had like a, a big project due around that time. I said, can I present my project early? I'm going to take these two days off to observe the Jewish holiday. He says, no, you, you presented with the class on that day. Like, but I won't be here on that day because a Jewish high holiday. So he told me, he says, you have to make a decision. It's either your education or your religion. You can't do both. Hmm. And just hearing me say, it was like a really shocking thing to hear. Um, but I, it kind of made me think like, 
if he's saying that, there's got to be something to the religion thing. Like, why why would he be so upset with the idea for me doing religion and education? It's just like really really bizarre. So, um, uh, long story short, I ended up dropping the course and uh, I went to the synagogue. And I I don't say that I got inspired from being at synagogue, but um, I've always been like a spiritual person, mm-hmm. and it was just it was a way to really connect some spiritual ideas. Right. So I kept, I, I went down the rabbit hole there and uh, I really, I, I do live um, as much of, of an observant life that I, that I can, like always trying to grow, you know? So it's a. Uh, yeah. And your children as well? Yeah. My kids as well. Do you guys, do you guys attend synagogue or things like that? Yeah. Yeah. We do. We do. I, I mean, for, for me, I, I go, uh, I go twice a day. I, I go in the morning and the evening. Wow. Yeah. Right across from the jujitsu. Oh, right to that place. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Beautiful, man. Mazel tov. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, Judaism has also been a, um, an extremely powerful and important part of my life. You know, I like it for a lot of things, but mostly because it's a, it's a, it's a religion that's based on action. Mm-hmm. Um, when this episode comes out, there'll have been a, an episode or, or two right before this that I had with a rabbi, oh, Rabbi wow. Eli Block, who is the rabbi at Chabad in, uh, in Plano. Um, and we had a very nice conversation about some of the tenets of Judaism. And... The piece that I love the most is that Judaism is based on action. Mm-hmm. It's based on action, how you show up in the world. Yes, right. it matters what you say, of course. Words are, words are important, but actions matter the most. Mm-hmm. How do you show up? How do you show up? How do you act? What are your daily choices? That's what it's about. And then, you know, believing that there's this sort of divine spark that lives inside right. of you and how can you express that freely and openly in the world? I think those are my, my sort of my most important pieces. And I think all religions have that aspect. Uh, I just, you know, I just know Judaism the most, and that's the one that I feel, um, you know, most drawn to since right. it's been my whole existence, my whole family, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. So, super powerful stuff, man. Yes, I feel like it's uh, so much is to do with intention as well. Yes, you know, if if you so like you're you're right. There's so much action, but doing something when your heart's not in it, you know, is a uh, it's almost as though it was not done at all mm. or done well at all. Like you've got you to have a, a real intention to do something. Um, if, if you want to you know, you go and help somebody and uh, do a, a kindness, you, know, um, you, you really got to put your heart into it and mean to do a nice thing. Right. If, if you're just doing it because you just want to you know, get points and get out of the way, it's like, almost like you didn't do it. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have to do it with your heart first. Yeah. It's true. All right, last topic. Yes. Jiu-jitsu. Yes. When did that start? Why? Tell me everything. So it started about um, a month before I left. Well, before uh, COVID probably. Yeah. And then everything shut down. Everything, you know, it went online. I thought, how do you do jiu-jitsu online? <laughs> it was the same price. I was like, I can't do jiu-jitsu online. <laughs> Who are you supposed to train with? I don't, Who are you rolling with? Yeah, just learning moves and, you know. I mean, I get an idea, like, if you sit down and watch a seminar about someone breaking down jiu-jitsu, yeah. but I, you can't do class by yourself. Yeah. What am I like? You know, they're hip escaping on the ground, you know, like in your All right, basement. Shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, anyways. Yeah, so... That lasted about a month. Yeah. And um, I really liked it. You know, every single class I would, you know, I get, I work myself until I'm sick. You know, it's probably like, you know, a little out of shape and whatever, but I drive home and I always have to stop, throw up. 
I felt great about it. That a boy? Yeah. And um, when when I got here into Plano, found this gym here. Okay, let's let's uh, get this going. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it's awesome. You got jujitsu and Judaism right in the same That's right it. in the same place. Yes, jujitsu. That's right. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I mean, what do you what do you uh, what do you like about jujitsu? What do you think it offers you? For me, it's um, uh, you know, I I really like something where it forces me to think, and um, I I generally don't feel very smart. So you know, hearing our professor Ricardo, who's he's awesome, he's doing he's teaching something, and I'm really trying to figure like focusing on what, what he's teaching, and I'm trying to make it make sense. So I, I feel like every time I'm I'm trying to work on on what he's showing us, I'm building pathways. They weren't there before, mm. you know, how to move your body, how to move somebody else's body. And uh, I feel smarter after every class. I just feel like I've, something made sense, didn't make sense before. Um, so there, that, that's a big one. Um, fit, uh, fitness, I'm, I'm trying to get into shape. So that, that's another thing. And um, just being uncomfortable. I, I really, really enjoy discomfort when I get to choose it on my own terms, mm. you know, because there's going to be times in life when you're uncomfortable that are not on your terms. So I feel like if you can get comfortable with being uncomfortable, when you are uncomfortable, when you don't choose it, you're going to deal with it a lot better. Yeah. So for, for that reason, you know, um, and it's a little bit frustrating in the summertime. I, I, you know, the first thing I do when I wake up is a cold shower because it sucks. Um, but after you have a cold shower, it's like you've already done something that sucks. So the next thing you have to do in the day is not going to be as bad as that. So everything is a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, there, there's times in the class where like I'm, it hurts or I feel tired or I don't want to go because I feel like I'm just going to get like um, smothered by this guy. That he, what's that um, position of mother's milk? Was, uh, when the guy's <laughs> had me in that thing for like entire like six minutes and I can't breathe. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, that's, like, that's like real suffering. Right. And uh, you don't want to go back the next day because you don't want to be stuck under. He's like... Uh, boob for like six minutes it's 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 not fun right but that makes it more interesting to me is going back after that because it sucked so bad i want to go back to the suck so that one day when something really does suck that i you know i've already had to suck yeah on my own terms right yeah you're simulating a struggle mm-hmm. so that when the struggle happens in real life in real time you're more equipped to handle it right i mean that's the the basic foundation of choosing to do things that are hard every single day mm-hmm. Because you have chosen and unchosen suffering. Mm-hmm. Unchosen suffering is just the bad shit that happens to all of us. Right. Like inevitably the bad shit, death, heartbreak, job loss, car wreck, all of these things. Like just they're going to happen. That's mm-hmm. the unchosen stuff. But the chosen stuff, whatever you choose to do that's hard, just gives you a bit of armor. Right. You're protecting yourself. So when those bad situations come and you fall down, you can pick yourself back up. You can pick yourself back up over and over and over again. And then you know you've built this sense of identity within yourself that you are this person. Like, I don't give a fuck what happens to me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pick myself back up. Not to say I'm not accepting the fact that it sucks and it's really hard and I'm sad and I'm grieving and this is painful, but I can pick myself back up, simply put. And jujitsu teaches you that. And so does anything that you do that's hard. You want to go do a triathlon mm-hmm. or, you know, run three miles every day or do a cold plunge or get in the sauna or, you know, decide that you're going to read 30 pages in a book every single day. If you're not a reader, that's hard too. Right? Yeah. All of that stuff. You just got to choose it because life is going to be hard no matter yeah. what. 
Like no matter what, it's going to be hard. Might as well choose some things to do that are hard voluntarily. So it's a little less miserable. Right. So like for me, I, I would never tell my parents or people that I love them growing up. Because I felt like if, if I get too attached to somebody and I love, if, if I love somebody too much and something ha- life happens and they pass away, they go, I'm going to be so heartbroken. Mm. So it was, a, it was my way to hide the hide mm. from life. So that if I don't get close to people, I'm not going to feel any pain if something happens. Right. And um, so I did that for, for many, many years. It was like a terrible mistake. So when I, when I realized that I'm doing this, you know, this bad thing, it's, it's really not a, not a good way to live. I went with that mentality. Life is going to happen. I don't care. I'm in a different place right now. When, once you have that psychedelic experience, you see the world in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I kind of just built a, a confidence to live in this world without being scared about what might happen. Yeah. Yeah, because all the good things happen in the present moment. Mm-hmm. You know, all the good things. And I'm sure you've learned to love because you have kids and a wife and like, you know what real love is. Right. You know what true love is. And, you know, seeing something and wanting it to flourish and be beautiful. And how can I set an example for that? And mm-hmm. like, you know, that stuff is, uh, you know, it's magical, really. It's true. Yeah. Okay, I got one question for okay. you. Stolen from Tim Ferriss, my favorite podcaster. If you were going to put a billboard up, and millions of people were going to see that billboard every single day. What would you put on it? I love my wife. Yeah? Yeah. It was something, not even about me, just like how great she is. I would have to figure out how I can let the world know how great she is. How great is she? The best. I can't even put words. Yeah? Yeah. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Any uh, closing thoughts, remarks, comments, questions, concerns, funny stories, anecdotes? Uh, just... Um, there, there's so many. Um, one thing I just, just do want to say, I was watching you. You have a, a podcast, uh, Champions Adjust. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if it was a baseball podcast at first. Oh, yeah? Because like, I've seen the shirt. and like, okay, cool. Let me see what's going on there. Yeah. I love baseball. I'm obsessed. Oh, really? I'm obsessed with baseball. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. So I moved to Toronto in 92, okay. just in time for the World Series. Uh... Right? So it's, it was a good time to, to be a, an eight-year-old moving to a... Yeah, it's a great time. It was fantastic. And, uh, you know... Baseball is a, a big part of my life. It always has been. I started playing fantasy baseball since I was, I can't remember. I can't remember a time when I really wasn't playing fantasy baseball. Uh, probably I was 13, 14. Yeah. And um, every year, like I'm, I'm very, very, uh, very, very much into it. I watch, I'll watch any game. You know, I've got on my phone, MLB. I don't care who the teams are. I'll just sit, I'll watch a baseball game. Wow. Yeah, I'm like super obsessed. I, I like my, my really, my dream for like a very long time was to be a GM. A that's a cool, GM. that's cool. That's a tough job, but a cool job. Yeah, that's a... Are uh, the Blue Jays your favorite team? Um, they used to be. Now you like the... So I'm more of a, a baseball fan okay. than I'm a homer, but you know, I'm here in Texas. I'm, 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 a, I'm a ranger. Have you been to the Rangers ballpark? Once. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping they make the playoffs so we can go. Me but too. right now they're, they're sitting really well. Yes. The Astros are coming though. They're a good team. But Rangers are looking good. I'm glad they picked up Scherzer too. That was a big trade. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And but, he loves dogs too. He's a good dog guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's important if you like dogs. Yes. You know, it shows your true heart. But that's great that you like baseball. Mm-hmm. And thank you for listening and watching to that. Yeah. And you listen and watch this one too. Yeah, that's great And too. now you've been on it. Yeah, it's crazy. What a magical journey. <laughs> what a magical journey. Well, thank you, dude. Thank you. Appreciate you coming over. Thank you, guys. See you next time. Cheers.
Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Ricky. What idea stood out to you the most? What idea resonated with you most deeply? And if you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review on Spotify, Apple, or even on Good Pods. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is through Patreon. Patreon.com slash Aaron Mashbitz directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit, You Are Loved. And options start as low as $3 a month. So check it out. Let me know which tier works best for you. And, you know, I appreciate your support in advance. But most importantly, most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourselves and others. And I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.